Thank you, Rob. You did that well, and that's one of the most difficult songs to sing. Great classical piece. We welcome you here. We welcome those who are listening on WHKP and those who are watching online, as well as those who are here present today. Thank you for being here. We're studying the book of Acts on Sunday morning. We'll be in chapter 14 in just a few minutes. Um, I will say this. Um, I go and open the door for, as the choir gets out and as the, as the orchestra goes out. I've never seen our choir happier than as they were leaving just then after Dave made that mistake. <laughs> I heard a whole bunch of, we got him. <laughs> so uh, I've done that many a time myself, brother, I'm telling you. So uh, that's great. Good job. Well, let's do what we do every Sunday morning. Let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16. Then we'll join with Christians all over in praying the Lord's Prayer. Let's do that now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to just uh, read, I'm going to tell the first part of it and then pick up reading at verse 11 in just a moment. But the title of my message is Get Back Up When You Get Knocked Down. It'll become evident as we look through this particular text why I've chosen that title. This last Monday, I went to our pastor's conference. We have a Baptist meeting on Monday mornings. And they were discussing something that's on the minds of a lot of preachers because according to our biggest uh, pollster in Baptist life, Tom Rayner, he said we're on the verge of what he calls the great resignation among pastors, that something like 40% of pastors are thinking seriously, not just about changing churches, but about quitting the ministry altogether. And one of the reasons why that discussion was in the forefront was because a pastor that we all knew there had just resigned and did not leave his church for another. He left to go into secular work this last week. And so we were talking about that. Toward the end of the time together, when we were getting ready to have our prayer time, one of the pastors almost broke down in tears. And he said, I've got to tell you all this. I've been thinking about it. I'm this close from giving up being in the ministry. And so we had the privilege of circling around him and, and, and being with him and, and standing up and standing beside him that day. And I've tried to get a hold of him since and, and encourage him. But it's not just pastors. I think if you're here and you're identified as a Christian, you know, there was a day in time when there was that, quote, moral majority, and so many of us were Christians, but today it is a small minority of those who believe in Jesus and stand where the Bible stands on issues. And you know what, folks? It's getting hard out there, isn't it? Uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wrote an article in uh, in, in a paper this week, blaming us Christians for allowing our religion to try to dictate to people in the issue of abortion. I read in this morning's newspaper a letter to the editor where somebody said, I'm so proud of this new town I've moved to because I counted 300 people on the road last week protesting for abortion. 
I actually found a website where you could go and see picture after picture of who was there and what their signs were. The F word was on so many signs. It was just a blasphemous thing. And so here they're being celebrated because they want to take the lives of babies away. So when you look at where we're at, you can see a lot of people say, you know, it's just getting hard to be a Christian in this day and time. I'm wondering if I shouldn't just crawl into a corner and wait on Jesus to come back. <laughs> just, to just don't be in the fight anymore. So I know that is on the hearts of people. But what we have in the Apostle Paul and in Barnabas in this chapter is an example of resilience. People who keep getting knocked down and get back up. In chapter 13, and Justin did such a great job with this last week. Paul and Barnabas had to leave the town of Antioch of Pisidia because they got word, and this was reliable, some people are getting together a group of people to come and stone you to death. And so Paul said, can I bid y'all good night? <laughs> and so they slipped out of town and they just kept on preaching and they went to the next place, which would be Iconium in chapter 14. And they preached there and then they found out that they were planning to stone them there. So they slipped out of town and they went to Lystra and Derby. But verse 7 says that even though they kept getting run out of town, they kept on preaching the gospel. And then in verse 8, we find that Paul, when he's there in Lystra, sees a man and he senses that he has faith. Now that's an important scriptural concept because the Bible makes it clear if God's going to work in our life, he only works in our life if we have faith. So it said he sensed he had faith, so he looked at him and he spoke to him. This man had never walked in his life. All of a sudden, he stands up and walks, and the entire town is bowled over, but they come to the wrong conclusion. And I'm going to read, starting in verse 11, this wrong conclusion they came to. Verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Paul they called Zeus, Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended, with the crowds, to offer sacrifice. Now, let me give you some background for the city of Lystra in chapter 14. Lystra had a legend that had been passed on from generation to generation. They said, many, many, many years ago, the two gods, Zeus and Hermes, had put on human disguises and come to visit our town. And they knocked on door after door and said, can we stay with you? And door after door, people said, no, no, go away, go away. Finally, Zeus and Hermes in disguise came up to a home where they were welcomed in. And they spent the night there. And as they were leaving, they blessed the people that they had received hospitality from. And then with their, their supernatural godlike power, they waved their hands. And all the homes of those who refused to let them in were destroyed. So now that this huge miracle has happened, the chief priest that had the temple said, wait a minute, did you just say human beings healed somebody that dramatically? Uh-oh, I know what this is, and we're not going to miss it this time. So they went and got the bulls and the goats, and they got the crowd up and said, oh, we're so glad to have you, Zeus and Hermes. We're going to give our sacrifices to you. The whole town welcomes you this time. Now look how Paul reacts in verse 14. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? 
We are people just like you. And we're proclaiming good news to you that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and everything in it. Folks, Paul sitting there and tore his robes. Now, let me explain what that is. In that day and time, the deepest sign of grief was when you publicly tore your clothes. If you lost your spouse, if you lost a child, can you think of anything more devastating than something like that? You would tear your clothes. If your nation went to war and your nation lost in that war, when the news came back of the defeat, you would tear your clothes. This is, a, this is saying something is horribly wrong. And so rather than receiving, I, I mean, a lot of folks today would say, come on out of here, y'all got some money, bring that too. I don't know, the bulls and goats, that's fine. They're coming to worship them and they're tearing their cloaks. Why did they tear their cloaks? Well, they tell them, why are you, look at verse 15. We, we are people just like you. We're proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God. Paul's basically saying, I got some news for you. There's no such thing as Zeus and Hermes. That was a man-made story. All those gods you've heard about with all their silly lives, that's, there's nothing to it. Put that aside. Don't don't put your faith in a myth like that. And then he goes on and he preaches to get them to turn from that kind of false religion. Verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and joy in your hearts. Even, Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. So did you get this? They're sitting here and they're saying, don't, don't worship us. Please don't worship us. And can I chase just a rabbit here before we do any more read? If you are a Christian, you should be uncomfortable if people are praising you instead of God. Here they are saying, oh, we're coming here. To, you must be nothing less than the gods in the flesh. We're going to give you these. No, no, tear their clothes. We're people like you. We've come here to tell you about the real God. Worship him, don't worship us. And that should be our heart's desire. But can I tell you something that breaks my heart? There are too many pastors in the ministry who build little kingdoms that cause their people to worship them instead of God. I'll recommend a podcast to you that just was the most, one of the most interesting and also soul-shaking podcasts. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Christianity Today put it out, and it goes through and talks about Mark Driscoll and this super church that he built in Washington, D.C. I heard him 20 years ago and said, wow, what a bold preacher. But then the news started trickling out that that, uh, he was leaving damaged people behind. In fact, in 2014, his elders investigated him and said because of his bullying and his anger and the way he has mistreated staff after staff, he is not fit to be in the ministry at all. So when the elders gave that report, he did this. He quit Seattle, went to Arizona, and started a church and didn't make the same mistake the second time. He just didn't have any elders. Now, he's the only one in charge. Two years before it fell apart, in one of his sermons, let me read you a quote from him. And this, I think, breaks my heart. He said this, There's a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. And by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. That was said in a sermon. 
I can't imagine a pastor who would boast about the fact that I have used my power. And if you get in my way, if you disagree with me, you're going to be one more dead body behind the bus. Folks, the church shouldn't be a bus that leaves dead bodies behind it. The church ought to be a hospital that leaves whole and healed people behind it. So here's Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're, they're offered worship and they tear their clothes. Don't do that. Don't, we're just people. Don't talk about us. William Carey, the first modern missionary, when he was close to death, a man came to visit him. This man had never met him before, but was in awe of all that he did. And he said, for an hour, all this man did was brag about all the great things William Carey did. And when he was about to leave, William Carey looked at him and said, you've been with me an hour, and all you've done is talk about the great things that William Carey has done. Will you make me this promise? I'll be dead soon. When I die, don't talk about William Carey. Talk about William Carey's Savior. And that was the heart of the Apostle Paul. Now we look at verse 19. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. Can you see how fickle the crowd is? Just like in Jesus' day. Hosanna on, on Palm Sunday. Crucify him on Good Friday. Here, one minute they're wanting to worship him. The next minute they stone him and leave him for dead. Oh, my friends. Now, let me just point this out to you because I'm you probably thought about this. The very first time Paul is mentioned in the book of Acts was at the stoning of Stephen. It said they laid their coats at Saul, Paul's feet. That was an idiom that meant he was in charge of it. He'd gotten the crowd. He had brought the stones. You know, he was the one that was, was there to make sure that this man would ha be taken and gotten rid of. How dare he criticize us and criticize the temple. And so they, he was there enjoying every moment when the stones pounded Stephen. He, he, he saw it. In fact, it, it haunted him. Now later on, when God met him on the Damascus Road, blinded him with the light, he makes his way into Damascus and God sees a man named Ananias and says, I want you to go and, and finish sharing the gospel with Paul. And, and Ananias says, now wait a minute, wait a minute. He's done so many harmful things for us. I'm getting the impression that basically what Ananias was saying, don't you forgive him and let him off easy. Now don't you imagine, this is my guess. Don't you imagine when the first rock hit him, the first thing he thought about was the first rock that hit Stephen that he was in charge of. That he was sitting here saying, deja vu. I've been here. I've caused this. What goes around comes around. And so there he is. And when the crowd got through, they were convinced that he was dead. I'm sure somebody felt a pulse. They were convinced that they had killed him. So they left. And the church comes out of hiding. Now, I don't blame them for being in hiding. <laughs> you know, it's not like you go, time out, time out. Would you just hold just a second? About five of us want to stand here so that we can, we can be stoned too. Could you just wait for us while we come in? No, of course they'd stay away. But once the mob has gone and Paul's laying there, look what happens. This is one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible. Verse 20. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up, went into the town. The next day he left for Barn with Barnabas for Derby, And then look at verse 21. And after they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, where he got stoned. Iconium, where he was threatened with stonium. With Antioch, where they were insulted and run out. He got back up, went right back in again. 
Do you see where I got the title for my sermon? Get back up when you get knocked down. Most people would say I'm out of here. Well, my first truth today is we do need to get back up when we get knocked down. Walter Payton was one of my favorite athletes I've ever seen. I've only saw him on TV, but what a runner. When he finished his career, he had more rushing yards than anybody in history. In fact, they said if you were to turn his yards into miles over his career, he ran nine miles on the field. He also had another thing that was very distinguished. He averaged 4.6 yards per carry. Now, I know some of you don't know what that means, but a very good day for a back is four, and oftentimes a typical back today would be three or less yards per try. But his average was 4.6 yards. So somebody put the two together and said that he ran nine miles, but he didn't just run nine miles. He ran nine miles getting knocked down every 4.6 yards and getting back up again and then running 4.6 yards and getting back up again. Kept getting up, kept getting up, kept getting up. And that's what God has called us to do. And friends, we've got to do it. I know the tide has turned against us, but we've got to do it. There's a source that I can recommend to you called Open Doors. It was founded by Brother Andrew of God Smuggler's fame. It is the most accurate source we have to find out what's going on among the persecuted Christians, the persecuted church. I just went on there this week just to check their stories, and they told a story of a couple, Ali and Zara, who are now living in Turkey. They're from Iran, but they're living as exiles. They were from a typical Muslim home, which meant their religion was pretty much a surface religion. Ali came from a home where everybody in his family was already on drugs. It was an arranged marriage. So he married Zara. God bless her. Because the man that she had an arranged marriage for was an addict. They had two children. And she said she often wondered, will her children starve? Because he took every free penny he had and used it to buy drugs. One day, he came to the point where he was so tired of his addiction that he decided to go somewhere and commit suicide. But just before he took his own life, this is happening oftentimes in the Muslim world right now. He said he saw a man in white come to him in a vision. And the man touched him, and he said all of the sudden, all of his desire for drugs were gone. He went back and told Zara about the man in white that he saw in his vision, and they said, we've got to find out who that man in white was. So they went to mosque after mosque and asked imam after imam, who's the man in white, could find no answers. And then he thought about a friend of his who he used to do drugs with, who's now become a Christian. He went to rehab and became a Christian. He went to see him and says, do you know who this man in white, of course I know who that is. That's Jesus. And he gave the gospel to him and he accepted Christ. And immediately they lost their jobs. She tried to visit her family's home and was not allowed back in because that's the price you pay in Iran if you become a Christian. They were turned into the secret police and they were arrested and captured. And for six months they were beaten and tortured before they were released again. And they said the one thing that kept them going was they knew that there was an underground church that they'd become a part of, a group of, a circle of brothers and sisters that were praying for them all the time that they were there in prison. They got out and realized they would have no life in Iran, so they made their way as refugees to Turkey. And as of this moment, they have no official status, which means he can't even get a job. 
He is there just living off whatever relief agencies will give to him and his family. Somebody came up to Ali and Zara and said, all that this has cost you, your faith has cost you, would you do it again? And with an exclamation mark in this article, they said, yes. Why is it that even when we get knocked down, we get up again? Can can I just give you one simple reason why we get up again when we get knocked down? Listen to this, brothers and sisters. We get up when we get knocked down because we really believe what we say we believe. I really believe John 3.16, don't you? I believe that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, hey, what's the worst they can threaten us with? Take our lives? Sign me up. I'll get promoted. I believe that heaven is real, that Jesus is risen, that my sins have been paid for. We really believe that. And because of that, because we have that eternal perspective, we believe what Paul said in Romans 8.18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. Whatever I have to suffer here for Jesus will be more than made up for it through all eternity. But not only do we believe what we say we believe, folks, we're playing for a different audience. Think of all those folk who just want to become an influencer on the internet or want to have likes on their pages and their life goes up and down. But folks, I want to tell you something. If they put a thumbs down, I guess that's what they do, thumbs down on everything we do here, it's okay. As long as I'll hear one day, well done from God. We're not playing for the same audience. Uh, I've talked to you about Safely Home. It's a book that shake, shake, it shook my life up. Uh, Randy Alcorn wrote it. It's a fictional book, but it could be happening right now because China is a horrible place for persecution. It talked about a young Chinese man. His father had been a house church pastor, then he'd been arrested, and then he was a martyr when he was young. He said, I don't want any part of that. So he went to America, went to Harvard, would have had a great career, except while he was at Harvard, he became a Christian. When he returned to China and they found out he was a Christian, they made him a street sweeper. He had no future at all. Now, one of the things that Randy Alcorn does in this book that just really blew me away was the fact that he would go from what's happening on earth to views of what's happening in heaven. You know, in Paul, it says in Hebrews 12, we have a great, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And it would be like what is happening here is being witnessed. Well, well, this Chinese Christian's grandfather had been a house church pastor and he'd been martyred. His father had been a house church pastor and he'd been martyred. And one day when they had captured him, they put him in prison, they had tortured him and he did not deny Christ. They threw him in the cell. He was bleeding on the floor. All of a sudden, Alcorn took the vision up to heaven and there was this father and grandfather who'd watched their boy. And this is what they said. Our boy did good today, didn't he? I'll tell you why that meant so much to me is I read that book right after I lost my father and he was in heaven and my father had only wanted one thing for me and that was, that was that I would please God. That's all. He didn't care if I was popular. He didn't care if I was wealthy. He just wanted me to please God. And I looked up there and I, I thought that cloud of witnesses. I want to hear my heavenly father say well done. I want my earthly father to say well done too. We're playing for a different audience. Now, the last truth I have for you today is this. God intends for Christians to circle around fellow hurting Christians. 
God intends for Christians to circle around fellow hurting Christians. In verse 20, the crowd had left him for dead. We don't know if he died or if he was just close to death and revived, however it might be. It's no coincidence that when the crowd got around him, that's when he rose up. Isn't that a beautiful picture? A circle of Christians, and then he rises up. And so, folks, I think we've got to have that. Can I just tell you something I've tried to say over and over again? You're not going to make it as a Lone Ranger Christian. You better have a group of folks that are around you. One of the best ways you can do that is to be involved in Sunday school. And Sunday school classes, let me encourage you, make sure that you don't just do a mini sermon. Make sure that you circle around everybody who's hurting in your class. That there is great fellowship in those classes. Uh, some of you go to the men's prayer group breakfast, or, or we have ladies that meet here during the week for prayer. Find some kind of small group. My wife walks with six girls. Not, not all of them. In fact, this is a rarity when all six can come at one time. But, but what, whoever shows up, they have the set, the set time to walk. But this is what they do. They talk. They encourage each other. They fellowship. And then when they get back to their cars outside in public, they join their hands and they pray. Get involved with something like that. Get involved in a prayer chain. So when something comes up in your heart or somebody you love, you get there and say, pray for this person. We can't make it by ourselves. We've got to have that circle of folk. Would you pray with me about that now? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just stir us up. The ones who are about to give up, Lord, lift their hearts up so they'll keep on going. Those who need a circle around them, Lord, don't let them just quietly leave today let them find that circle we pray this in jesus name amen